0: So win TV presents. So win TV presents. Hi, everybody.
1: This is love him. Love them with Linda Gunner, where we give hope, touch lives and change hearts. unity on a mission. So last night I had the amazing opportunity to speak at a, a revival service which is Unity on a Mission and they do it once a quarter for a 7-day revival. And it's all these churches that get together and they are they're trying to be unified. They're on a mission to be unity, unified, right? And so um, it's a really good friend of mine that heads it up. She has a newspaper that's called the Battlefield News. And so literally when you go, there's probably five or six speakers and they have uh, it's it's really an amazing concept. So they have all of these churches and, and they're from different faiths and they want to come together to be unified, which is actually biblical. the pa- the, the main speaker last night was fabulous. I don't remember his name. But I'm going to know him a little bit better because we're supposed to be in touch with each other later on this week. But he told the most amazing story, so much so that I wanted to talk to you guys about it tonight, about how he used to live on the before he met Jesus. He used to live on the streets and he was a, I think, a heroin addict or a, um, I don't know, some type of some type of an addict. And he talked about how unified people are on the streets, and that, because they're drug addicts and they're they're how they pull together, and how you know the drinking buddies, how they all, you know, like <laughs> he was actually on stage, he was like, "I'll take a puff, I'll give you a puff. Hey, you want some of my beer? I'll give you some of my beer." And that it's just it's just so so such a great group of people, and so bonded and so unified. And so he said that whenever he gave his life to the Lord and decided to go straight into ministry, he was so excited about, he was thinking, oh, wow, you know, this is going to be amazing because I'm going to be dealing with pastors and Christians and it's just going to be one big happy family and we're going to all be so unified and 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 together and on one page. And he said, whoa, that is not what happened. <laughs> so he said it just always blows his mind. About how on the streets with no Jesus, how everyone wanted to work together and be on the same page and and work together. But that whenever he came inside of the church, it was not that way. Uh, Even to the point that he said he was part of a pastor's conference or commission or coalition or whatever that met once a month. And he said it got to the point where. It was so discouraging when he left there because of how they argued and fussed and fought and and couldn't agree on anything. And you know, that's my question: Why? Why are people who say they're Christians? Why are people who say they're Christians so divided? Why, why is that? Why? Why is? Why, why do you have to have an organization called Unity on a mission <laughs> to bring churches together? Why is it that way? Why is the body of Christ so divided? I mean, that's really not debatable. We are divided. I mean, do you, do you know, when we were booking the choir to go and sing at different churches— do you know that in some towns I mean we were all up and down the east coast but sometimes there's a first Baptist church there's a second Baptist church there's a third Baptist church I think there's like a fourth removed Baptist church there's the United Baptist Church there's the first that that always blows my mind the first United Methodist Church and the Second United Methodist Church. Somebody needs to tell people what the word united means, because you're not united if you're going down to the second and third one. So even more importantly, what can we do to be sure that the body of Christ is more united and not divided? You know, the word united, I've been saying this for years. If, if you spell it out, U-N-I-T-E-D, if you move the I one space over, All of a sudden, the word is not united anymore. It's untied. And that's really a more accurate description of the majority of churches is we're just untied. We're unraveled. We're frazzled. And if there is a point that we can disagree on, we're going to disagree on it. But the church, the body of Christ, Christians are so divided. You know, the fact of the matter is this is nothing new. Do you know that if you look back, I mean, Solomon says that there ain't nothing new. There's nothing new. The church of Corinthians was the same way. And even Solomon in Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's really nothing new under the sun. So whatever we're seeing today in the church Christians not you know I'm, I'm in a different church every Sunday yesterday I was in two different churches one in Sunday morning one Sunday night oh I don't want to say exactly what happened yesterday my husband told me not to talk about that but anyways um, let me just put it to you this way do you know that there are churches not the one I was in yesterday but do you know that there are churches of people who walk in and they will not sit on the same side of the Uh, You know how there's usually an aisle in the middle or two aisles? They won't sit on the same side as other people. They won't park in the parking lot. Some people, if they come in and they see one car is there of somebody, they leave and won't come back. I mean, the division is insane. What is division? What is disunity? I'm just going to give you just a straight-up definition. And basically, it is a situation in which people disagree so much— that they can no longer work together effectively. (laughs) Now, I want y'all to think about the strategies of Satan. Do you think it would be effective for Satan to have Christians not able to work together effectively? Huh? Yeah, I think so. You know, this is the reason why individual Christians and even churches don't have the power They don't have the power that they could have or that they should have because Christians are divided. Even over secondary—I mean, I'm not asking you to not be divided over if Jesus is the Son of God or about these. I'm talking about secondary—I'm talking about issues that don't even matter. I'm talking about where the remembrance table is, what color the carpet is, whether they're going to redo something. People are not even willing to sit together in churches with people they disagree with. Or the way, or that see things differently than they do. You know, in chapter one of um 1 Corinthians, he starts off calling them, Paul says he calls them brothers and sisters. I mean, we're supposed to be a family, right? <laughs> the the revival I was at last night, they sang, um, do you guys remember I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God? That is like an old I've not heard that song since like the Bill Gaither people sang that, but we sang that last night. But it is true. We're supposed to be a family. And, you know, the sad part is a lot of families are so disunified and in disagreement that maybe that is a bad term, that we shouldn't be called the family of God because that is what we act like. We act like a family of chaos. But he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. This is so key. This bit about being unified and unity it is the reason why there are people who don't have power. And it is the reason that our churches are dying. And it is the reason why by, why you can go to a football stadium on a Saturday and see 85,000 people there, black, white, every socioeconomic stat, uh, status that you can imagine sitting right beside each other, yelling, go dogs, go Knowles, go whoever. And then on Sunday, it's empty. Or on Sunday, there's a black church and a white church. Where Saturday, the day before, you're rooting and hollering and yelling and screaming right beside every single person. What, why, why is the division on Sunday and not in the football stadium? Huh? Because it says, and that's what Paul's saying, I am appealing to you. I am asking you to agree with one another in what you say and that there be no division among you, but what you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. What are the things that we're dividing the church at Corinth? Do you know? Well, first of all, it was what we call a party spirit. (laughs) I I mean, there's not a party spirit, but when you hear what I'm about to say, you might think there is. Because they, they were going around saying, you know, I follow Paul. I'm doing what Paul says. Some of them were like, no, I follow Apollos. I'm doing what Paul. I know I'm a follower of Peter. And everybody thought that whoever they were following, they were better, right? All of these different and then some of them came up and said, I'm not following any human. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ but all of these different groups in that first church of the corinthians they were competing they were fighting they were comparing themselves with one another so let's just do a little test right now okay cuz i don't probably none of y'all are followers of peter and probably none of y'all are followers of apollos but i'm just going to say a couple names and i want to see what what that stirs up right cuz what goes through your mind right now if somebody says I attend Stephen Furtick's church. Or I'm a follower of Joyce Meyer. Or I listen to T.D. Jakes. What what are you thinking right now? Huh? Because most of us immediately have a bias when we hear where somebody is getting their teaching from or if they're getting it from a certain person right how did paul respond to them did he his, his question back to them was when they were saying i'm a follower of this guy i'm a follower of that guy all paul said was uh did he, did any of those guys get crucified for you did any of them get, did any of them die on a cross for you you know what is dividing the church today and and i wonder if you personally are buying into any of the things that are divi- that are dividing the church are, or even worse are you allowing yourself to be used by the enemy in the division you know it was all part of our enemy's plan to sow disunity into our society. I mean, the enemy is smarter than we are. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that if Christians ever could get their act together and agree on anything, whoa, the power that we would have would be insane and unbelievably amazing. You know, one of the biggest things, and we I don't know when this is going to air, but when I'm speaking right now, we're right before midterm elections in Georgia, well, all around the country. And one of the biggest things that divides us right now is politics and who we vote for. You know, another thing that really divides us, and I just talked about it with the football game, but it's racial prejudices. The pastor that spoke last night was uh, African-American, and he made it very clear that he had absolutely nothing to do with the way he came out of his mom. He had nothing to do with the color of his skin. You don't have anything to do with the color of your skin. Nobody does. That's nothing that we had anything to do with. And yet, for some reason, we take some sort of superiority in uh, whatever race we are that we're above somebody else. It is a lie from the pit of hell, to and and especially on Sundays. It really bothers me because literally when I'm speaking, I'm either speaking at an all-black church or an all-white church. It's unbelievable that we go to Walmart together during the week. We go to football games the Saturdays before Sundays. We do everything together. We go to school together. We go everywhere else together. But the time that we should be together, worshiping and praising God on Sundays, we're divided. Think about who's got that going on. You know, if you really want to know if you can consider yourself to be a racist, probably this is the easiest way I can tell you, is how would you feel if your daughter or your son married someone outside of your race? It's racial differences that are separating us today. Another thing that separates Christians and divides us are our theological differences, some of which that matter and some of which that don't. Baptism, speaking in tongues, women pastors, gifts of the Spirit. You know, we spend more time arguing over things that don't matter that we don't even realize that we're being used as a tool of Satan to create more division. We just, we, we, we're lost in it. You know, John 17 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as I am in you and you are in me, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you get that? We're, we're, we're talking about so many different things that unity makes or breaks, right? So, unity, Satan is using it against us because we, we lose our power when we're not unified. But now, right here, John is telling us believers aren't gonna believe. Not, what do believers I say it all the time. The reason most believers don't wanna, most people don't wanna be a Christian. It's because they've met somebody who says they are a Christian, right? And they're talking about people worse than they are. But the reason that most people don't want to go to church is because they've been to one. I mean, this says right here that the way that the world will believe that God sent his son is that if we are all in agreement together. Now, do you see why Satan completely wants to destroy us and to have us divided? We're playing right into it. John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you love somebody, you can't be divided. Philippians 2, 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind, of one mind. I mean, you you can't, maybe you can, but in the circles I run in, it's very difficult to see two people who profess to be Christians to sit down and talk for any for any length of time without coming up with something that they're very dis, on opposite ends of, in, in extreme disagreement. Ephesians 4.11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. But until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, you know, the bottom line is this. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the easiest, and you know, he talks in Ephesians 6 about his strategies. He's very strategic in what he does. So if he can get you arguing over the color of the carpet, how you're going to use the fellowship hall, whether or not you're going to have a fall festival, if harvest is in the Bible or not, whatever he can get you to to disagree on, and he has that division, that is like such an amazing strategy that he's able to use. And we fall for it. We fall for it so easily because in our minds, we think we're standing for Christ. And in the middle of the division, we're literally playing right into Satan's strategy by being divided by it. Um, he wants us divided. God is all about reconciliation, he's all about harmony, he's all about unity, and division is not good. You know, there's three qualities, or there's many, but here are three qualities of unity: one is patience. If you want to be, if you're going to be consistent and being unified with others, with other Christians, you got to be patient with them. And, you know, the, the, the real meaning of patience is long suffering. So you may have to suffer long, <laughs> suffer long, you suffer wrong. You have to be emotionally calm in the in the face of provocation. You know, there's some people who just seem to be really, really good at that. Right. No matter what the conversation is, they're able to take a breath, breathe, go through it, even if they they disagree. They they don't they don't voice their opinion and they're they're able to make it through to keep that division from happening. Meekness, meekness is the gentleness of attitude and behavior, and humility. Those three things would help us be. Would make things so much easier to not be divided. But the bottom line is, you know the funny part is, we we're all a lot of us become Christians initially for our eternal security, right? We want to go to heaven. We don't want to go to hell. And the funny part is, we don't, but we don't want to learn how to coexist here. And yet the the way the Bible tells us we're going to all be in heaven, anyways. We're going to be spending eternity with these people who all say they're Christians. And yet we can't coexist here. You know, we've got to learn how to coexist as followers of Jesus. We're going to be spending eternity together. Everyone is not going to agree. In all areas, but you can still show love towards one another, even if you don't agree. I just had the opportunity to do this very recently uh, with someone. uh, It's amazing how it can turn out differently than if you fight back, argue back, make sure everybody knows what your opinion is, or if you express love and you're humble. Because there's got to be a way to follow what the Bible says about unity with one another. God would not continue to command and instruct us to live in unity if there was not a way to do it. Hatred is taught, right? You don't just wake up one day and say, I hate blank types of people. You know, there's a golden rule. The golden rule is not just a bumper sticker. It's actually in the Bible where it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Can you picture God looking down from heaven and being disappointed with you? (laughs) I mean, does that bother you? Does it bother you for someone to say, I'm a Christian, but at the same time still degrade another whole race? You know, that that is one of the big things, the big parts of division. I mean, I don't have to tell you. You see it. You you If you go to church on Sunday, you see it. Professing Christians have to love our brothers. We have to love our brothers in Christ. Not because I'm telling you to do it, but that's what the Bible says. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen so why do we have divisions in the church when God tells us over and over we're supposed to be living in unity biblical unity is harmonious have you ever gone have you ever heard somebody that plays the piano and they play the wrong chord how it it just literally hurts your ears I feel like that's the way God feels when he looks down on us and sees the churches and how, how divided we are, how there is no harmony. Love is the one thing that binds everything together in perfect harmony. So how do we have unity? We have unity by loving. That's, that's the only thing. What is the name of our ministry? We have to love him and love them. There are going to always be, I mean, I think sometimes we feel like we're going to get to this place where we're just going to be able to love everybody one day. That's not how it works. There are going to continuously be people in your life, whether it's on the highway that break in front of you, whether it's in a meeting, whether it's in a new, uh, there are always going to be people that are difficult to love. But God has given us the ability to do that. That is the whole Bible in one sentence. Love him, love them. Harmony, Colossians 3.13. I would even turn this around and say that loving each other well, making that our number one priority, will bring about the unity that Paul writes about and prays about. For love, real, genuine love is the secret sauce in biblical unity. That's it. If we would learn how to love one another, that's where the unity would come from, whether it's loving another race, whether it's loving somebody that does want to park on the, um, in our parking spot, whether it's loving the person that wants to sit in our seat, whether it's loving the, the, the lost sinner that walks in through the door. That's it. That's the key. In other words, people whose ultimate goal is true unity, because biblical unity is not selfish, if your number one goal is for us to really have unity, you're not looking out for number one. But you're pursuing a common goal with truth and love. They're not seeking to push their own agenda. Do you know that the um the fastest growing, the third fastest growing church in America is the church of Satan? And do you know that part of becoming a Satan worshiper, one of the requirements is to join a local church and to see how high you can move up in that church? It pushes you up higher in the church of Satan. Did you know that? That might give you a different perspective on some of the people that are in your church that are pushing their own agenda. You know, we've got to look to reconcile differences and reach peace in a consensus with that. If you've got somebody that is continuously pushing their own agenda and looking out for number one, that's that you're never going to have the unity. We often see people that are pushing their own agendas in a lot of different ways. I mean, it could be, <laughs> it really could be that they want a specific song sung. They want the drums played. They don't want the drums played. They want the preacher to use certain words. They want the church to fund certain things. I mean, and that in and of itself is not bad, but it's the intention behind it. That is so detrimental. There's so many people that have to have certain things done exactly the way they want it done when they want it done that way. And it intentionally causes discord and it's all in an effort to just satisfy their own wants. You know, If we're specifically told by God that unity is what pleases him, if we're in a situation where there's not unity, we've got to figure out how to do something about it. And the other thing that I think if we could keep this in our mind to realize that when we're in those situations that are not only not pleasing God, but what we are doing, it's almost as if we're worshiping Satan. It's almost as if we are putting ourselves in a position where we are are falling into the strategies of what Satan wants us to do. I don't want to be living there. I don't want to do that. I might not like what someone else is doing or a, a particular thing, but it's kind of like we teach our kids. At some point, we have to be adults. At some point, we have to be able to sit down and talk through things. Why is the church in America so empty? And why is the church in America not more powerful? Why are you as a Christian not able to do what Jesus said we could do, which is greater things than when he walked on this earth? Why is that? Could it possibly be one simple thing in that we are divided? Someone in our life or in our church has hurt our feelings or offended us? Again, another strategy of Satan. Offense is the bait of Satan. He wants to use that to catch you and pull you in and keep you offended. Because if he can keep you offended, he can keep you divided. And if he can keep you divided, you're not united. And if you're not united, you don't have the power. Are you following me? I want to really challenge you to listen and think. Who are you divided from? Why are you divided? Is it something that you need to sit down and speak with someone about? Why is your church divided? I I really want to encourage you that this is something that we need to take seriously. And we don't need to fall into the schemes and the strategies of Satan and not have the power that we need to have. There's many reasons that we can pray and not get what we pray for, because and God's specific with that. But what if the reason that your church and your circle or your home group doesn't get what they pray for is because there's division among you. And God wants that reconciled. God wants that fixed. God wants that division to go. We, we're we're we in a battle. We're in a supernatural battle. And you know, the funny part is our battle is not against that person that we disagree with. The battle is against Satan. Ephesians tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood. So I'll tell you, like I always say, we've got to learn how to love Him and love them. Because if we don't, we'll never be united. Don't fall into the schemes and the strategies of Satan. If you're in a church that's in division, fix it. Love one another. Love, love covers all sins. Love is the answer. Love is the secret sauce, and that's the way to become unified. Don't forget, we got to love Him to be able to love them.
0: Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on Soul Win, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. Soulwin women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their god-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now.